Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. You can't cherry-pick this verse and ignore the context of Scripture as a whole. If you look at this verse and you ignore all of Scripture... Sure, you could draw that conclusion. But when you look at Scripture as a whole, you realize that this is not a promise of absolute healing for everyone and anyone who seeks prayer for healing, nor does it mean that if they don't get healed, it means that the faith of the one praying for them is deficient. You have to balance this verse against the context of Scripture as a whole. And the context of Scripture as a whole is very clear. Not all who are sick receive healing. And and, and just because they don't receive healing... It does not mean that their faith or the faith of those who are praying for them is somehow deficient or too weak. In fact, to hold that view, you have to be ready to indict a number of very, very godly people in the scriptures of having deficient faith. For example, Job. You know, now I know that there are Christians of the venue of absolute divine healing for anyone and everyone who asks for it will, will, will almost villainize Job. They act like Job's counselors, and they'll say the only reason Job wasn't healed was because he had a lack of faith. If he had more faith, he wouldn't have went through what he went through. But that, that's completely out of context. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I think it's arrogant to try to accuse Job of lacking faith. I mean, think about the things he says in the midst of his, his trials, right? Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. <laughs> Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That's a statement of faith, man. And, and Job 23, 10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. But he's saying, you know what? I'm just trusting the Lord and walking through this. And, and I know he can use this and, and it'll strengthen. That's faith, isn't it? The greatest statement, and we all know it, but in Job 19, verses 25 through 27, Job 19.25, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. But to, to this some will say, well, Job's an old covenant saint. We're under the new covenant where healing is guaranteed to those with faith. Well, let's consider some people and their situations in the New Testament. And you tell me if that notion is correct. Paul, writing to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. That you'll note, he doesn't say, do this because your faith is too weak to be healed. He doesn't say that. He's recognizing, I'm sure Timothy is a man of faith, that Timothy has been praying, and the Lord just hasn't healed him. And and so Paul's just saying, hey, here's a practical way of dealing with that, right? How about Paul writing about a fellow servant in the Lord by the name of Trophimus? Erastus, he says, this is in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 20. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. <laughs> Did, did Trophimus have weak faith that he couldn't be healed and couldn't go with Paul, that Paul had to leave him behind because he had COVID? 
you know, or whatever. <laughs> no. It's Paul speaking of his own situation. I know we use this passage for a lot of things, but I think most, most people who've looked at the passage really believe, and I do too, that in this passage, Paul is talking about a physical ailment. Listen to what he says here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, you don't have enough faith for me to do that for you. No, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. See, I believe it was a sickness that he's talking about. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, are you honestly prepared? <laughs> I know you guys are not. I'll look to... Those who watch this even, you know, on live stream this morning or maybe watching a playback of it. Are you honestly prepared to accuse the Apostle Paul of deficient faith? I hope not. I seriously hope not, because that would not only be unscriptural, but it would be incredibly spiritually arrogant. Paul makes clear in his statement that he begged, he begged by faith for the Lord to remove this thorn, this infirmity, but the Lord refused to remove it because he intended for it to be part of Paul's life so that he could teach him that his grace was sufficient. Plus, I'm sure for a lot of other reasons that are not stated here that Paul didn't even understand why God would do it, but God had a purpose in it. Let's add one more person's list to this name before we move on. Someone that's not uh, mentioned, but we can deduce the connection with reasonable certainty. Jesus's earthly father, Joseph. Jesus's earthly father, Joseph. Throughout jo or Jesus's ministry, as an adult, when he went into ministry, do you notice that Joseph is glaringly absent? In fact, it tells us in Matthew 12, verses 46 through 47, Matthew 12, 46, while he, being Jesus, was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Well, you know the rest of it, right? Who's my mother and my father? Those, you know, he points to those that are with him. But the point I want to make is, where's Joseph? He's not mentioned that list when this occurs. Now, it is possible that Joseph was busy working when this event took place and couldn't go with them. But his absence, his absence is noticeable here. And it's especially noticeable at the cross where Jesus specifically makes spiritual provision the brothers will take care of the physical provision, but he makes spiritual provision for his mother, Mary, with John, right? You know the episode, John 19, verses 26 through 27. John 19, 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Again, where is Joseph when this incredibly significant event takes place? Of course, it's always possible that he had abandoned Mary. It is possible that he left Mary and divorced her at some point in time, but, but that wouldn't make any sense, would it? I mean, you're talking a guy who the scriptures say is extremely righteous, 
right? He's righteous. And on top of that, he stood with her before he even understood what the pregnancy was all about and didn't divorce her and put her away. The only conclusion that we can draw is that at some point he died. He died. So here's my question. Whose faith was deficient that Joseph would have died? Joseph's or Jesus? (laughs) Since he didn't or couldn't even heal his own earthly father? Now, I hope you see how unscriptural this kind of name it and claim it stuff really is. Look, I I believe in faith healing, right? I just don't believe in the context that we we see being promoted today in many circles, you know? And and, and when you look at this and you realize this and you contrast this against the full teaching of the scriptures, you realize just how ridiculous some of these teachings are. If these folks in this camp are right, then how come even when they or the leaders in their movements get sick or die, there's no record of healings or resurrections? And, and also, if they are correct in what they're teaching, then it logically follows that no one with faith should ever die, right? Because if you have enough faith, you should just keep on receiving divine healing every time you get sick and, and never die. And, and even when the body simply wears out, you should still be able to be resurrected physically from the dead by those who have enough faith. This is nothing more than crazy spiritual nonsense. Is there such a thing as divine healing? Of course there is. Of course there is. But divine healing is not. Let me say it again. Divine healing is not a guarantee in this life. It's only a guarantee that one day all believers will receive divine healing and be physically resurrected from the dead in new bodies that will never be subject to illness ever again, nor will they ever die. But that promise has nothing to do with this present fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We are not living in the kingdom of God. You know, that's going to be important as we look at the Beatitudes because these are kingdom ideas, kingdom thoughts, kingdom way of thinking and behaving. But we also need to understand that it's not transforming the world around us if we just do this into the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God has not come yet. Kingdom of God has not come yet. Jesus is preparing us for that. He's preparing us with the way to think about the coming kingdom, but it has not come yet. We're not going to usher it in by the way we choose to live. Jesus will bring his kingdom. His kingdom will come when he comes, and he'll establish his kingdom, but it hasn't come yet. And so we suffer, and so we face illness, and so we face untimely deaths in many cases and and terrible circumstances in our life, and we're not guaranteed that God will always remove us from them or take those things from our lives. So, what do the scriptures command you to do? Seek healing from the Lord when you're sick or oppressed. Seek healing, right? Call for the elders to come and lay hands upon you and anoint you with oil and pray for you and ask other believers to stand with you and pray for you as well. That is scriptural. And yes, when you ask, ask with believing faith, right? James clearly tells us that we don't have because we don't ask, right? Ask with believing faith. Ask. Don't waver in your asking, he says, right? Don't, don't be tossed about. Don't be double-minded. Just ask, believe. And as you ask, also rest in the knowledge that has nothing to do with the amount of faith that you have. But it's the faith, as scripture says, the size of a mustard seed that moves mountains. So if it can move a mountain, it can certainly move your illness, right? It's not the amount So ask with what faith you can muster at the moment. I always like that passage elsewhere in the Gospels where the man says to him, and Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
you know? And then the disciples saying, help us to have greater faith. <laughs> the point is that this is not about magnanimity of faith. Did I say that right? I'm twisting over my braces, right? Mag magnanimity of faith, right? It's not about the enormous size of your faith. Faith, the size of a mustard seed. So ask with what little faith you have. But in the end, but in the end, leave the answer in the hands of the Lord. Leave the answer in the hands of the Lord. Let your prayer always be sealed with your will be done. Despite what some suggest, that is not a faithless statement. It is a clear statement that the Lord himself told us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, on earth, we're still here. So it applies to our lives as well. And then as you leave your situation in the hands of the Lord, you might very well find that the Lord, for his own purposes and reasons, simply does not want to grant you the healing or whatever it is else that you're asking him for. It might be that he's working something else out in your life as he was the Apostle Paul or in the life of others, like us, as we look at the Apostle Paul. Aren't we grateful that the Lord didn't necessarily heal him? How much more of a lesson are we finding in the fact that the Lord did not? learning about God's sufficiency by looking at Paul's life. We don't know what the Lord is working out in various circumstances that we find unpleasant and want him to remove, but he chooses to let those things remain in our lives. We don't know what he's working out. You know, I, I remember my friend Dave. Dave had terrible cancer. Great guy. My golfing buddy, right? But Dave died of cancer. But in the beginning, when Dave first had it, he, he did all these things. He, he, he wanted to stand by faith in what the Lord, you know, says he can heal. He believed the Lord could heal. He, he prayed with confidence and faith in the Lord, asking for healing. Even at one point, he said, I think the Lord's going to heal me. I think the Lord's going to heal me. I had no reason not to think he wouldn't. I know the Lord heals. And yet along the way, Dave began to see that his life was fading away. And either the Lord was going to do something incredibly miraculous or the Lord was going to call him home. And at one point he had looked at me and he said to me, he says, you know, Randy, he said, I think the Lord's just calling me home and I'm really okay with that. He said, because you know what? He said, my illness and what I've gone through has touched an awful lot of people that I've been trying to witness to for a very long time and never paid attention. And now they hang on every word and everything I'm saying in the life that I'm sharing with them. And that just blew me. I mean, I wanted to weep. I mean, I did weep. And I almost weep now thinking about that. Not that I miss Dave, and I do, but, but the faith of that. And, and, you know, Dave would have said, I have faith the size of a mustard seed. Well, I'm just going to tell you this. His mustard seed was a whole lot bigger than mine. It's a whole lot bigger than mine. He got to the place where he understood that God's doing something different. I don't know all the ramifications. He's decided this is my time, and he's not going to heal me of this, not because he can't, not because he that, 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 that doesn't even want to, but because it's not serving his purposes for what he really has that's best. It might be that the Lord knows something about you or your own life situation that, that healing would not even be the best thing for you at times. I, I think of King Hezekiah. You guys know King Hezekiah, right? But King Hezekiah, you know that there's, there's more said about Hezekiah. It's, it's less verbiage said in the scriptures about him, but there's more powerful statements said about him than there even was David of being a, a, a godly king. David was a man after God's own heart, but this guy was known as a godly king in God's eyes in a very powerful way. 
one of the greatest kings of Israel, and he truly loved the Lord, and he was powerfully used by him, and he was a man of tremendous faith, tremendous faith in the Lord. His prayers were absolutely powerful. In fact, Isaiah chapter 37 tells us of a prayer that he prayed for deliverance uh, uh, for the nation when the Assyrians were, were laying siege to Jerusalem. And it was a powerful prayer that, that God responded to by sending a single angel to break that siege by wiping out 185,000 Assyrians in one night. But later in his life, he prayed another prayer recorded in Isaiah chapter 38. It's a prayer where, where it's not even so much a prayer as it is just a begging and a pleading and a crying and a wailing for God to heal him from some disease that he had that he was dying from. And God granted him his request and gave him 15 more years of life. Divine healing, right? It's always good. Well, maybe. This is, but, <laughs> you know, but... And this is a huge but. In those 15 years of extra life, two significant events happened, things which, which would not have happened had God not answered his prayer, or, or at least it wouldn't have happened because, at least it wouldn't have happened because of Hezekiah being alive, okay? Events that put a terrible blemish, really put a, a terrible period on the end of the sentence of his life. At the end, which was a tremendous record, but it's a blemish on the end of his life. And here are the two events. Number one, after God healed him, feeling very cocky and prideful because of the healing that God had given to him, feeling spiritually special because of what God had done for him, Hezekiah made an incredibly stupid mistake. Isaiah 39, verses 1 and 2 describes it. Isaiah 39, verse 1. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. This action by Hezekiah, driven by fleshy pride as a result of God answering his prayer for healing, ended up planting the initial seeds that would eventually blossom in the hearts of the Babylonians and would cause them to come and invade and to conquer the southern kingdom of Judah and take them into captivity. Second, three years after his healing, he gave birth to a son who he named Manasseh, who eventually succeeded him as king. Manasseh grew up during that time when Hezekiah was, was selfishly enjoying the extra 15 years of life that his prayer had, had yielded for him. And, and it was at a time which he cared little or nothing for the future of his kingdom and his children. And I'll clarify that a little bit more for you in a moment. It was a period of time that Scripture reflects that his focus was more about himself than anything else, which the way he prayed for healing was as well, right? By begging and crying and to get the Lord to do this for him. It was about him, not about what would be best. In fact, Hezekiah's self-centeredness was clearly revealed in his response to Isaiah when Isaiah told him that his foolish act of showing the treasures of, of the kingdom to the Babylonians would result in the Babylonians coming to conquer the kingdom. Listen to Hezekiah's response to the rebuke that Isaiah gives him. Then Isaiah, this is Isaiah 39, verses 3 through 8. Isaiah 39, verse 3. 
Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country from Babylon. Almost like he wants Isaiah to be impressed, doesn't he? They came to see me all the way from Babylon, right? And, and he said, what have they seen in your house? Like he didn't already know. Isaiah knew because the Lord had shown him. And Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. (laughs) And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You just blew it, Hezekiah. Look at what you've done. Look what you did in your spiritual, arrogant pride. Look what you've done. Pay attention to this, verse 8. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. That's astounding, isn't it? That's an astounding response. And it shows self-centeredness. What he's saying is, oh, that's great. At least it ain't going to happen on my watch. I'll be going. I don't care less about my kids, my grandkids. doesn't matter what their future is. As long as I have peace in my time, I'm good to go. These were the years and the climate in which his son Manasseh grew up. Now, remember, Manasseh is born three years after the divine healing. So he's growing up in this environment. And he's being influenced by this. And as a result, Manasseh himself will turn out to be one of the most extremely self-centered rulers of Israel that will be in power. And and he's going to lead the people into levels of sin and idolatry, which his father never led them into in his lifetime. And why not? I mean, why not? After all, the curse of God was upon him because of his father's prideful actions with the Babylonian emissaries. After becoming king, Manasseh likely figured, as long as I'm cursed, I may as well live it up while I have the time. He'll later repent. Actually, it's a quite incredible repentance. He'll later repent, but it'll be too late for the nation. The seeds of the kingdom's destruction were sown by his actions. So here's, I know I belabored on this this morning. We're obviously not going to get far today, but you know what? Here's the point to all of this. I think it's important. What you want and, and, and what you ask for by faith might not be wrong for you to ask for that, but it might not be the best for you or for others. And only God knows what's best. Only he knows. And pounding our fists and naming and claiming it might sound spiritual, but in reality, it is not spiritual. In fact, it is not only unscriptural, but it can be incredibly foolish. Yeah, James is right when James says in James 4, 2 that you don't have because you don't ask. So ask, but don't demand. So ask, but don't demand. Let your prayers be faith-filled and yet have the greater faith in God to trust that he knows the best answer to your request, whether it be for healing or anything else in your life. What you see as the most important thing to have, he may see as the most destructive thing for you to have. What you see as the most important thing for your life, he may see as the most uh, obstructive thing to your witness or to what he's trying to work out for your life and for others and for his own plan. Ask, 
but have the faith to end your asking with your will be done. Do you know, I think that takes greater faith than to name and claim it. It takes greater faith to entrust what I've asked for to the hands of the Lord and to say, your will be done. You do what you think is best now. I have blown people away over the years who, you know, hold firmly to this idea that we've got to just, you know, we got to be faith-filled and it's the way we ask and we got to do that. I'm a faithful person. But, but I'll blow people away sometimes when I get to it and say, now let's leave it in the Lord's hands and let's see what he does. It's like, I've had people tell me, well, you shouldn't do that because that's negativity that you're bringing into the prayer and the Lord doesn't honor that. That's a lack of faith. And it's like, no, I, I have great faith. I have faith enough to trust the Lord to do for you what's really needed. It may not be what you want in the end, but I promise you this, it'll always be for your benefit. Are you telling me I might, I could die and and how's that going to be? Well, then you're going to be in the kingdom and you'll see all the benefit of the blessing of what you're entrusting your life, even to the point that he's taken your life in that illness, how much he was able to use that in other things. Because you'll see it all. You'll see all the connections to it all, I think. Maybe we won't care. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.